Welcome to the Small Business Big Life Podcast. My name is Derek Van Ness, and I'm the lead wealth strategist and founder at Big Life Financial, where we use innovative tax and financial strategies to help business owners keep more of the money they make and be a whole lot smarter at growing it. We believe every person has something unique and valuable to bring to the world, but far too often money stops them from sharing those gifts. We're here to fix that problem by helping people get money out of the way so they can unleash their full potential on the world. Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll even reveal how you can be the next guest on one of the fastest growing daily inspirational podcasts on the planet. So let's get this thing started now. Well, welcome everybody to the Small Business Big Life Podcast. This is your host, Derek Van Ness here. And I'm very, very excited today for our guest. He and I have been having uh, quite an interesting chat prior to the show here. And uh, he's an author, he's a, a pseudo monk, uh, all kinds of businessman, sort of a variety kind of guy. So I think there's just gonna be so much wisdom that he's gonna be able to share with us today. So I'd like to welcome to the show, Danny Levin. Thank you so much, Derek. I think we better end now because it sounds like all I can do is go down from that introduction. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you for your. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you being here. You know, Danny, you and I don't know each other too well, but I, I've been, I read up on your website a little bit, read up on your book, and you have just had a plethora of experiences. And before we get into some of those, I just want to, I want you to introduce yourself, tell people who you are and how they can connect with you so that even if they only hear the first 10 minutes of the show, they, and they love you, they know where they can go to, to get more. That's so kind of you. So if you want to turn tune out right now, but you just want to hear who I am, you can go to danielbrucelevin.com. Very simple. I'm sure it's in the show notes as well. That question is harder for me to answer than it is for most people. Because I've lived about a thousand different lifetimes this lifetime. Derek, I've had the opportunity to be with some of the wealthiest people in the world. Not in lecture halls or in conferences, but at their dining room tables. They've been kind enough to give me counsel and oftentimes kind enough to ask my counsel on things they were doing. When I ran Hay House, and I, a self-help publishing company, we grew it together from $3 million to $100 million a year in sales. And so I was, I was face to face. My job was, I was director of business development. I brought in new people, new ideas, new concepts, new ways of looking at things. And so I was friends with a lot of the top self-help practitioners in the, in the world. Mm -hmm. And I would sit with them and most people looked up to them and put them on a pedestal. I was one of the few people that just treated them like an individual. And so they would come to me when they were feeling down or discouraged or needed just a, a shoulder to cry on. And everybody needs a shoulder to cry on. And so I got the opportunity to meet them in their, not only in their highest moments, but in their lowest moments. Mm. And Derek, I've also had the opportunity to sit around the world with people on street corners who have been the poorest of the poor, the homeless and the down. And I've been able to meet their families as well. Maybe not their families of origin, but their families of friends. And we've sat and had meals together. Sometimes it was just the wine and the, and the bread and the cheese that I brought with me. But we would sit together and drink bottles and bottles of wine and eat bread and, and whatever else the community of those people brought together with us. And so what I found is that 
no matter how rich a person was or how poor, no matter what religion they were practiced or didn't practice, no matter what border they lived behind or what color their skin, essentially everybody wanted the same three things. They wanted to be loved and accepted. They wanted to be listened to and heard. And they wanted to be acknowledged and validated. And when I realized that I didn't need the, monast the 10 years of monastic training to do that. I didn't need the ordination, uh, the, the, the study for ordination into the rabbinical, in the, the, to be a rabbi, to get that. I didn't need the, the work that I did in psychology to be able to offer that. All I needed was a heart that was kind enough to ask the question, how are you? Not as a salutation, but as the real question of concern. When I could ask somebody how they were doing, most people, most of the time we ask, hi, how are you? And people say, good, fine, great. Right. Well, they're not really good, fine, great. When you take a minute and say, come on, I'm actually interested in knowing how you are. Most of the time they say most people aren't interested. What I'm really, what I'm really feeling now is scared and alone and frightened. And I don't know where the world's going and I don't know what's happening. And I'm, I'm, and I'm, and I'm sad and I'm lonely and I'm afraid. And when you take a moment to just hold the space for them, to feel safe enough to tell you how they actually are, amazing things happen. Mm -hmm. The walls fall down that we protect ourselves with. And what emerges is who we actually are. And when we emerge as who we are, amazing things happen. So I guess who I am is someone who holds the space for people to feel loved and accepted, listened to and heard and acknowledged and validated. I love that. You know, it's it's interesting that you say that. A good friend of mine who lives uh, very close to you in, in North County once said to me, uh, what is present when there are no problems left to solve? And mm -hmm. it sounds to me like what you're able to do is kind of strip past sort of some of those problems or the, the niceties or the salutations and, and really get to what is present underneath all that other hubbub and connect with people. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Thank you. And, and it like, just for me to clarify, cause it's okay to have problems. We we're it's sure. okay to be ourselves, you know? So there's nothing wrong with our problems. There's nothing wrong with us feeling depressed or down. We just have to have somebody love us and accept us enough that they'll accept us in those places because we're not in those places only. Sometimes I have story time. Can I tell a story? Sure, sure. Love stories. So of all the people that I've told you I've met, the person that's probably changed my life the most is someone I've never been able to have a conversation with. I've known her 31 years. Hmm. She's my daughter. Hmm. And we've never been able to have a real conversation together because she's unable to speak like you and I speak. She'll try and speak, but most people don't understand her. I don't understand her most of the time. But because I'm closer to her than most, I understand more than most people. Mm. So when she'll speak to me and I don't understand her, what she'll do is she'll look at me and she'll think, oh, my dad's getting older. He probably can't hear so well. <laughs> so she'll, she'll say it louder. And she'll say it louder. When I say louder, that's a generous way of saying she'll yell it. Right. So, so she'll speak and she doesn't get heard. She yells. And when I still don't understand her, then she'll tantrum. And those tantrums are hard to control and wild, and we don't know where, you know, we don't really know what's going on, but they're just a way of disrupting the energy of what is to a new energy. 
And when her tantrum doesn't work, she'll come and run and attack me. She'll try and rip my shirt or try and bite me. Wow. And Derek, I wish I could say I'm, I'm sort of a sensitive guy. I wish I, I, I like to figure things out and, and help people and hold the space for people to be okay. It took me 15 years to figure this out. And it happens a lot, oftentimes some two, three, to four times a day. Wow. Finally, in the midst of her rage, she was running towards me. And I said, Elisa, this, we just can't do this anymore like this. It's just not possible. You have to find a way to talk to me without using words. And suddenly, the, the rage, she was running in rage towards me. She stopped dead in her tracks. The look of rage on her face turned into a beautiful smile that melted my heart. And in perfect English, for the first time, she said, I am daddy. And I wow. said, what the heck? <laughs> I put a few expletive deletes in there. And I said, how the heck are you doing that? And she took her finger and put it to the side of her head. And I understood from that that she was putting thoughts in my head. So I said to her, you little son of a gun, have you been putting thoughts into my head? And she said, yes, daddy, and started to laugh. And we laughed in uncontrollable, contagious laughter for about 20 minutes. There are wow. 20 minutes is a long time to laugh with somebody. Yeah, that's an ad workout. <laughs> and in the, in the process of that, through the process of that, when we stopped laughing, she has never yelled, tantrumed, or attacked again. Wow. wow. Now, why am, why am I saying that on a business podcast? Okay. My daughter taught me a formula because what I realized is what my daughter does, everybody in the world does. We do it in businesses. I work with corporations around it. I work with entrepreneurs around it. I work with families. Mm -hmm. I work with government. I work with prisons. I work with hospitals. I work with environmentalists and I work with people who are dealing with their own bodies. Mm -hmm. When we speak and we don't get heard, we yell. When we yell and we don't get heard, we create havoc. When we create havoc and we don't get heard, we attack. Mm -hmm. And that's why you see some people blowing up buildings, some people shooting people in town squares, some people trying to destroy the culture of a business, some people trying to look what's happening in our country now politically. Sure. Right? Yeah. So in your business, we have to understand why is somebody, why is somebody screaming and yelling and creating havoc? Because they don't feel heard. What would happen if you would go up to the people in your business? What would happen if you went up to your secretary or you went up to the people cleaning your toilets or, or making the coffee or, dry, or opening the door to your building and said to them, here's a new product we're coming out with. Can you tell me what you think of it? Do you like the color? Should it be red or blue? Do you like to, do you understand what its functionality is? Can you understand, can you do that? Will mm -hmm. you take a minute and just test it and see if you, if you like the way it works? Can you imagine all the voices and the opinions of people that are right in our proximity that we never even think to ask their opinion about? But if we would ask their opinion about how much more we would learn about the products we're creating. Sure, sure. I think uh, it's, it's really essential and it's very easy to not do, but very essential to treat human beings like human beings. You know, one of the things you said earlier is that everybody wants the same thing and I've had the experience a couple of times on a couple of different levels of coming to the conclusion that human beings, I mean, if you strip it all away, we're pretty much all the same. We want the same things. We, 
we come from the same place. We really have uh, have all the same intentions, but the environment and the experiences we have and the pain that we're in cause us to do a lot of different things to remedy that pain, right? Like you said, some version of yelling and screaming and causing havoc or seeking adulation or vanity or approval or whatever, sometimes in constructive ways, sometimes in not very constructive ways. And if you, if you start to see human beings that way, you can really, uh, you can really get to the core of, of what's there a lot more easily because you sort of see what's not them on the outside happening. And, and as you so eloquently said earlier, just kind of stripping past the layers and getting to how are you really and who are you really, uh, I think people respond very deeply to that. So I appreciate you giving us a very vivid story to, to kind of understand that. So um, Danny, just tell me real quick, you've obviously been through like you said, the the training to be a monk and the training to be a rabbi and worked for Hay House. And for those who don't know, Hay House is just a juggernaut within the personal development world. And many of the, the biggest names have come through there and uh, super grateful for the work that, you know, Luis and everybody over there did and, ha- and continue to do. But uh, you've had a lot of experiences. Share with me, how, how does one go from something like where you're running a, you know, a multimillion dollar business how do you transition from that to being uh, in in monk training or vice versa? Like, what is what, what causes such things to happen one way or the other? I think for everybody, their life path is different. For me, what happened, and I write about it in my book, The Mosaic. It's a fabulized version of my of my life. Hmm. Um, and I think you said I could tell where that you can people can get that on Amazon, by the way. So that's the easiest place to do it. Yeah, but I tell about it in in the book that. The telltale sign for me of my life was when my, I lost my parents two years apart on the same day when I was just a kid. Mm-hmm. And, and my, my dad died first, and he was my hero. My mom died two years later on the same day at the, exactly the same time because that's how connected they were. And so while other kids were just playing ball in the schoolyard, which I did too, while other guys were chasing girls, which I did too, in, in the back of my mind, I was wondering, why does a boy lose his, lose his, his idol mm-hmm. for no apparent reason? What happens? What is that about? And so there was always what I, I realized only five years ago as I started writing The Mosaic, that when my parents passed away, I went to the adults because they were the wisest people I knew. And I asked them, where did my parents go? And I don't know if they meant it on purpose or they just were telling me a line, but they said, oh, they're in good hands. They're in heaven now. Mm-hmm. So they're in a good place, right? right. Nice answer, right? Mm-hmm. So as a little kid, I didn't know what heaven was. So I set out in search of the place called heaven. But the people that I met along the way were not the rabbis and the priests and the ministers and the shamans and the swamis and the aborigines mm-hmm. elders and the medicine men and women. Right. They were the garbage mm-hmm. men. And the road worker. They were the street artist and the, and the juice man. They were the blind woman and the waitress. And I wondered, what in the heck am I meeting these people for? But what happened along the line is I, I realized, I heard a voice say, as long as you're here, sit with them and listen to their stories. Derek, in every single case, when I sat and listened to them tell me their stories, what I realized is 
the person that I initially saw wasn't at all the person that they were. Mm. And when that happened over and 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 over again, right? Get the idea? Yeah, yeah, more than once. I finally realized, hold it. I wonder if anything I see is what's actually there. Like I see all these things and I think I have an idea of what's going on, but none of it's what I think it is. So what would happen if I tried to get myself out of the way? Do I see anything in the world the way it actually is? Or do I see everything in the world the way I am? Mm -hmm. And as soon as I had that thought, I looked to my right and I saw a monk unzipping the sky and inviting me to walk through a parallel reality into, into a place where the wise one was sitting. And the wise one was the keeper of the mosaic. He was there working on all the different mosaic pieces, moving peoples and situations around so that they can have exactly what they needed. Hmm. And he gave me an experience of the, of the mosaic that was completely whole by just giving me a tap on the forehead. Yeah. And for a certain period of time, I lost identity. I didn't know who I was or where I was or what the time, the time frame, past, present, and future were all the same. Everything around me was me. I didn't know whose body I was moving and whose bodies I was seeing and who was separate. There was no separate. We were all the same. And I thought, isn't this interesting? And as soon as I had that thought, I woke up on the street next to a street artist built, making mosaics with broken pieces all around them. Hmm. And he said to me, what do you see when you see all these pieces? Most people just see broken pieces. And I said, I do too. That's what I see. They're just broken pieces. And he said, really, from where you've just come from, you're telling me you're going to see, you see only broken pieces? And I said, I didn't realize you knew where I was. What, what I see now, if you're asking me that, is I see the brokenness of our eyesight, that we see something that's completely whole and beautiful, and we only see its brokenness. All of those pieces are connected. Mm -hmm. And we are all the same. So, again, pretty stories. What's it have to do with business? Right. Right. When we learn to see perspective, the heaven that I was looking for for me was not a guy with a better beard than I'm much better looking <laughs> with a big G on a sweatshirt. The heaven that I that I realized I was looking for was that moment where when we see something one way and then we see it completely a different way, that change of perspective became my heaven. Mm. When we're able to look in our business and see not the things that we see, but those things that we don't see, those are the places where, where change really happens. Those are the places where innovation happens. Those are the places where we create new products. Mm -hmm. One of the things that made me successful at Hay House was I saw things that other people didn't see. Mm -hmm. When I came there, I said, we're a self-help publishing house. We were doing $3 million a year in sales. When I left, we were doing $100 million in sales, and I was the director of business development. And so what happened to make that change happen in 10 years' time to go from $3 million to $100 million? I said to the man who was running the company, if we're a self-help publishing house, everybody that publishes self-help should be published by. Everybody that writes self-help should be we should publish. And he looked at me and said, Danny, that's never going to happen. They're getting paid million-dollar advances by big publishing houses because they're really well-known. And I looked at him and I said, never is a really long time. What if, we can, <laughs> what if we can create a way to bring them to us? 
And he said, I don't believe you're going to be able to do it. I said, great, let me do it then. Because I do believe I'm going to be able to do it. Because I believe in a world where everything is possible. The only reason it's not possible is we don't see a way yet to make it possible. But the more we talk with people who see the world differently than we do, we see opportunities to see things we never saw before and create new, new possibilities that make the impossible possible. So I created a brand new product. I created the card, these card decks. And in doing so, I wrote the first one. I wrote the Zen cards. And then we went to Wayne Dyer and asked him if he would write inner peace cards. And we went to Louise Hay and said, will you write power thought cards? And we went to Don Miguel Ruiz and said, will you write four agreement cards? And those were our first four decks. And we showed them to all the authors that were doing that were New York Times bestselling authors. And we said, You're, you can't publish your books with us because you have deals with your publisher. But they're not going to want to publish these card decks. Nobody even wants, knows what to do with them in the bookstore. But we're going to create, we're going to know what to do with them. And pretty soon we were selling 10 times the, the amount of card decks that their New York Times bestselling books were selling. And we were charging $15.95 or $19.95 for them. And so they were getting, and we were giving them higher royalties than they made on their books. And they said, they came to me and said, Danny, why in the heck aren't we publishing our books with you? And I said, that's a very good question. Because <laughs> people, people don't think you'll ever do that with us because you're getting a million dollar advance. And they said to us, but you're paying us higher royalties and we're doing all the sales of our books. If you can supply them in all these places for us, like our publishers do, we could do it with us. And, and you're doing other things where we can sell them. You're creating conferences and radio shows and you're doing all this other stuff. I believe we could sell more with you. I said, I do too. But we've been told you'll never do it with us. I don't, I don't believe you'll never do it with us. And there was a woman by the name of Sylvia Brown. She was a world-renowned psychic. She had a book that was out of print and she was on a show called the Montel Williams show every month. Mm. And we went to her and said, we would like to publish your out of print book. And she said, of course, I'll let you do that. Nobody wants to publish it. And so we published the book. And then when she was on the Montel Williams show, we put ads on the Montel Williams show for her book. That book that was out of print that nobody wanted to publish that no one would touch was on the New York Times bestsellers list for 56 weeks straight. Wow. wow. Yeah. Well, you know, I, what I hear you saying there, Danny, is, you know, really just seeking to create value for people, right? And, and put good, good in the world and make sure that you're contributing. Uh, it kind of comes around. People sort of pick up on it when your life, when you make their life better and they, they want to work with you. Right. And let me let me go a step deeper than that, because that's what everybody will say. That's the easy thing to say. OK, what I'm asking people to do is when you can see when you when you invite yourself to see differently, mm -hmm. when you don't look at like the easy thing to say is that they'll never come to us to publish because we're staying in the thought of just publishing their books. Right. But when we widen the scope of what they did. Suddenly, we created products that could go into bookstores, gift stores, spas, uh, uh, lots of different places. Mm -hmm. And we product that nobody else was creating. And we had an opportunity then to work with them. They saw the success that we were able to bring to them. And they, on their own accord, said, we, didn't, we hardly did anything to create this. And, you've, and you've, you're doing this. We're selling 10 times what our books are selling. We want to publish with you. Mm -hmm. It's like when you walk by a flower and you smell its aroma, 
you stop in your tracks and you take another moment to smell it. But you can't like think about, I'm going to bring value to somebody by just putting out the smell of my aroma. Mm-hmm. You just open up and do what you do and, and see the world differently and experience it. You listen where other people don't listen. You see where other people don't see. And that makes your business alive and vital. Mm-hmm. I, I completely agree. Um, and I, I like the, uh, the nuance of what you're, what you're talking about there and, and how you're really helping us to go that layer deeper. So thank you for that. So um, tell me what caused you to, uh, to write the book and where does that sort of come from for you? Uh, obviously you've told us a little about what it's, what it's about, but you know, not every, a lot of, everybody's got a story, but not everybody's turned it into a book. So what, what prompted that? Um, as I saw myself getting older and I, and I didn't lead the, that most people led. So many po- people said, you should just write a book about your life. Your life is fascinating. And I thought, okay, I, you know, maybe I should do that. But quite frankly, because I was trained in, at Hay House and I, I was helping people write self-help books. The first <laughs> book I wrote was a self-help book. I wrote a book called V2, which was the second version of your life. Because I'd heard so many people say, if I only knew then what I knew now, sure. I would live life differently, right? Mm-hmm. So I would go up to him and I would say, well, now you know what you know now. How are you living life differently than you did then? Oh, I'm too old to do that. No, I don't have the energy <laughs> to do that. I don't have. And I thought, what a waste of time. Because even when you put a rocket ship into, into, into orbit, the first engine just gets you out, out to a certain place. The second, when that engine drops off, the second engine is what propels you to where you're going. Mm. So I thought the second part of our life would be what would propel us going. And I sent it to a friend of mine who's a, who's a great editor. And she looked at me and she said, Danny, I love this book. I love the concepts in it, but this isn't your book. And I said, what are, what are you talking about? Like, do you think I plagiarized it? Like, what do you think? No. She said, not a word if it's plagiarized. That's not what I'm talking about. But I know you. You're a storyteller. You hate self-help. You were in self-help all those years, watching people fix people, change people, help people, do all sorts of things for people. And that's not the way you work in the world. You don't, you're, not, you're not somebody who thinks change or fix or the people are broken. You just love telling stories. Why don't you write a story? And I said to her, Sandy, I'm a guy, you know, like I'm a guy guy. I'm, what, do you, what do you think? I'm going to do, write a fable? Like of all the things a guy guy is going to do, you think I'm going to write a fable? And she said, yeah, that's exactly what I want you to do. And I fought her for about a minute and a half (laughs) until I realized the brilliance in it. Because when we tell a story, we're not teaching anybody anything. We're sharing a story with them. And the minute that story comes from my lips and enters your ears, it starts to become your story. Because what you hear is entirely different than what I said. I said, hmm. And so the beauty of that is that stories are generous and kind and easy. Mm-hmm. And I tried to write, so I tried to write it. And I thought I would be done in six weeks because I had written a story for a hotel that was the most anticipated hotel opening in 2013 called the Andaz Maui Resort in, in Maui. And I, I branded them by writing a story for the hotel. And I said, well, what is your story? They said, we don't have a story. So I said, well, okay, let me, let me write, let me, I'll write it, but give me your core values. And so I created, a, and I said, why do people come here? And they said, they come here to fall in love. So I created characters from their core views. 
And I created a love story. And it took me about six weeks to write. Hmm. So I okay. thought this will take about eight weeks to write. Two and a half years later, I'm sitting, every black hair in my head's turned white. <laughs> and I'm about, I'm about to go crazy because I would write a chapter that I thought was great. I would save it. And I would wake up in the morning and it wasn't there. It was like it didn't get saved. Huh. Or I'd wake up in the morning and the file was corrupted. I remember I had the book almost entirely done and, I, and my computer crashed. Everything we got back from the, from the computer except my story. I had lost the whole story. Huh. So I did something crazy. Characters are made up characters based on real people, but they were made up characters. And I said, you guys are keeping me from writing this. There's something, there's something happening here. And I called them together like in a Zoom room in my mind's <laughs> eye. Yeah. And I said to them, what the heck is going on here? Why won't you let me finish this book? What are you doing? What's, what am I missing? And they said, you're not saying what we want you to say. You're telling us what to say, and we don't want to say what you're saying. And I said, I'm sorry, with all due respect, you're my characters. Right? I can tell you what to say. They said, sure you can, but it'll take another five years and you won't have a book then either. If you <laughs> listen to what we're telling you to say, your book will be done in 30 days. And I said, oh my God, okay, I'm going to do that. Derek, what happened in the process of listening to them is they changed me. And that was what they were trying to say. I was writing a book that was teaching people things through my story. They, their only concern was that they would change me through the stories that they were telling me because this was the book I most needed to read. And I was writing it with no thought of needing to read it. I was writing with the thought to teach it. And my, vo my voice became softer. My whole persona changed. My heart became more open. My, my, I was a little bit of a snob before I wrote it. Mm. And now I'm writing about common, ordinary people and seeing the beauty of every single human being that exists. And each person has a story. And what they do is so inspiring when I never saw that before. And so if mythological characters in a book have the potential to come and speak to us and speak truth to us, if we would only listen, what else is trying to speak to us in the world? Do you think our family's trying to speak to us, our spouses, our kids, our employees, our CEO, our customers, the people in our neighborhoods? Everybody's trying to speak to us. The environment itself, our bodies. So, so let me ask a question on that, Danny. Uh, I think some of us, I, well, maybe we're all aware on some level, it's pretty easy to to guess that our friends or our kids or our spouse is trying to teach or trying to speak to us. And I think if we all get honest with ourselves, we know that we have filters on those and don't always hear what's being said. How did you, you were obviously attached to writing the story that you thought you needed to write. How did you get rid of that filter? How did you open yourself up to listening? You answered the question by asking the question. Because you just said, obviously, I was attached to writing the story I wanted to write. Mm -hmm. And what I realized for me is the key to listening is that you, you have to have no agenda. Mm -hmm. I started to have agendaless conscience, where as soon as I start 
to want to teach you something or show you something or, or alert you to something or enlighten you to something. I'm no longer listening because I have an agenda that I'm trying to put on the table for you. Mm -hmm. But to have an agendaless conversation means I'm completely available to you to listen. What you say to me, I, I promise that in the conversations that I've had, and I've had hundreds and hundreds of conversations, I started a show called Conversations. I wanted to start 50 Conversations with, with 50 Strangers. Hmm. But the first post I put out, I got 250 responses. So I could no longer do 50 conversations with 50 strangers. It just became conversations with strangers. <laughs> yeah. And I only had two shows that were, that were not in keeping with what I wanted to do. They were great debate conversations where we spoke with each other and we both challenged each other. But right. that wasn't the purpose of that room. Those were the places where I had an agenda. And I could see clearly that the energy of those conversations was different than the energy of all the others. Mm -hmm. And I just was able to hold the space to you, for you. When I'm able to say to you, Derek, I am here 100% and I want to hear what you have to say. And I promise you, I will listen to you and I will hear you. I will, I will love you and I will accept you. I won't judge anything you say. And I will acknowledge you and validate you for saying what you said. I may not believe like you. I may not agree with you, but that doesn't matter. Some of my best friends have the most cockamamie beliefs you'd ever want to imagine. Yeah, me too. But, but if they were in harm's way, I would take a bullet for them. Because I love them, not because of what they believe. I love them because I love them. And so somewhere along the line in our modern day world, our beliefs have defined who we are friends with. I would like to challenge that. I would like to ask people, why should you let people who don't believe like you not be your friends? It's in those conversations that innovation happens. It's in the diversity that we share with each other that we start to grow bigger than we are. It's in our ability to see a different perspective. For me, that's my heaven. When, when we can be curious with each other and say, how is it possible that you look at exactly the same thing that I look at? I'm fascinated that you can do this and you see something totally different. Please, please share with me what you see. Because if I can see that perspective at all, it makes my perspective of what I'm looking at so much bigger, double the, top, double the perspective. And there are probably 360 perspectives of ways of looking at minimum yeah. from all the different angles, right? I've definitely seen that, like, uh, I really like art. And one of the things I've seen with art is quite often you'll see a, a painting or a sculpture or something, and, and you'll have an experience of it. And then you talk to the artist, and the artist will have an experience of it. And I found being an artist myself and having sold artwork in New York City, I used to do that out on the streets, wow. that, uh, that telling people the story behind it so they get that extra experience you're talking about it adds that layer of depth it sells a ton of art right and for me when I talk to artists and I see their perspective and the passion and the meaning and all the depth and thought that they've put into it my appreciation my my connectedness to that piece of art uh, becomes so much heavier so much stronger that I bought a lot of art that way but to me that was like a, a very simple example but I, I've definitely had those experiences of seeing it through someone else's eyes or experiencing what they've experienced. And all of a sudden it's completely different and it's, it's fascinating. And 
to me, it just adds so much depth to life. Yeah. And, and to I, your, go ahead. I love that. And, and again, what I want to do is I tell stories, but I want to tie the relevance back to what we're actually talking about. Sure. Because so often the reason why a business doesn't make it is because they have no idea what their story is. They have an idea of what their product is, but they can show you a product. I created a, of, I have, I have no experience in the clothing industry. And I created a line of uh, high-end loungewear. And everybody was creating sweats. There was no difference in what I did. But I took, I took symbols and words and put them on the, on the clothes before anybody was writing symbols and words on clothes. Hmm. And I created a story because when I was at Hay House, I met a guy by the name of Masuro Emoto. And he did a study with water where he said, you put positive words on water, it changes the molecular structure of the water. Mm-hmm. So I brought him to Hay House and I said to him, like, why do you need to put positive words on water? Our bodies are 87% water. What would happen if we wore positive images or put positive messages on our clothing? What would that do? He said, Danny, it would change the molecular structure of people's bodies. So I said, would you be okay with me telling that story and telling your story and trying to sell your concept and also using it to sell my clothes? He said, absolutely, I would love that. And so when I started to tell the story of imagine what would happen if words that you never even knew were printed on your clothing suddenly just made you feel good because I printed them on the inside of the leg of your clothes where you didn't even know until you washed them that they were there. Ah. Or, and I told, or, or, I, or they were on the outside and I just put images there or I just put things on there that made people feel good. And I started to sell those. The top boutiques in the country wanted me to be in there. I sold in the, in the, in the, in the most exclusive spas and resorts where all the Hollywood celebrities would come and stay and buy them. And they would call me up and say, you never know, you're never going to guess who bought your clothes today. And I said, who? And they told, would tell me, sometimes I didn't know who they were, but they were, they were really well-known celebrities. When we know what our story is and communicate a story that touches into the hearts of people, that elevates our business. Mm-hmm. And all too often, we just think we're selling widgets and we forget the story. But the story gets the excitement of people going. Yeah, yeah. It builds the emotion. So, well, wow. You know, Danny, I, I have a feeling you and I could talk for many, many hours and tell a lot of stories back and forth. We, we have quite a bit in common, as we discovered. Um, but our time here for today has come to an end. And, you know, maybe we'll revisit this in the future and have you back on because I feel like we just barely got to scratch the surface here. We might have to go Joe Rogan and do a three-hour show or something, but uh, <laughs> which would be a lot of fun. Uh, but we, uh, we're wrapping up today. And I just I wanted to remind people, where they can find you or connect with you or, you know, get a little bit more uh, connected to you out there. Can you share that with us again? Absolutely. Thank you so much for doing that. My website is danielbrucelevin.com. It's the easiest place to go. On there are all my social media links. On there is, is how you can get the Mosaic book. It's on Amazon at in the Mosaic Daniel Levin. And, but here's the really, here's what I would really like to invite people to do. There's so many of us, I realize, that don't feel heard, that don't feel that anybody cares enough about them to listen to them. If you're one of those people, just reach out to me. We'll find a way to talk. And if you're somebody that wants to work with people, if you're somebody that cares enough about people that you would like to hold the space and learn how to do that, reach out to me. We'll find a way to do that too. 
I want to create a revolution of listening. We speak, but we don't listen. And even for a guy like me, when I was given the mission to create a revolution of listening, I said to the people that gave it to me, are you crazy? Look how much I talk. You, surely there must be <laughs> better people that listen than I do. And to me, there's two, three, there are two answers we have to that. One is we want you to listen more. But two, an interesting thing happens, Danny, when you speak. You're interesting enough to occupy the minds of people with your stories. The mind is where fear lives. While you're speaking, also what we noticed is that your heart connects to people's hearts and your spirit connects to people's spirits. And with the mind occupied where fear lives, occupied in your story, it doesn't have a chance to say, hey, what's going on there? Why, what do I feel? What's happening here? It just lets your heart connect to their heart. And, and it's not like you're doing any magic or voodoo or, or you know something weird. You're just, loving on pe- you're just loving on people and feeling people. And when people feel loved and accepted and listened to and heard and acknowledged and validated, suddenly they are become invincible. Hmm. And so what, let's create an invincible society of people just by the simple practice of listening to them and hearing them. Wow. Well, that's a, an amazing note to end on. And I, I really appreciate you putting that out there, letting people know that that's possible. And for those of you listening, you might have to go back and listen to this again, because there's a lot to unpack there. And you could probably hear any of Danny's stories multiple times and and get different things from those. So so don't be afraid to revisit it. And Danny, I just want to thank you for coming, being so open to your credit. Just like you had said, you came into this with no agenda. When we talked about like what you wanted to discuss, you just really left that open today so that this thing could unfold as it as it's supposed to. And, and I love that approach. It's a lot of fun. Sometimes it's, you know, we take a lot of left turns and right turns down blind alleys, but that's where a lot of the exploration happens. So I just appreciate you taking that journey with me and being here to share with all of us. Thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure. And you're great at what you do. I hope this isn't the last time we talk. I agree. And, and thank you again. And we'll just wrap up with that. Thanks for listening to the Small Business Big Life Show. If you're a six or seven figure business owner who'd like to be on the show, we'd love to talk about it. Just visit biglifefinancial.com slash guest to get the ball rolling. And if you heard something you loved on the show today, don't be shy about sharing it. And if you do, be sure to use the hashtag smallbusinessbiglife so we can see that you're sharing the love. And heck, if we swoon over your post, we might even pass it on to our many thousands of followers to help share the love and the spotlight with you. Speaking of love, if you like today's show, be sure to hit that subscribe button. You know why? Because then you'll never miss another episode and you can get all the motivation, inspiration, and insights with every new episode. Also, if you want to see everything else we're up to on YouTube, social media, or even in real life, you can always visit us at biglifefinancial.com. Well, that's it for today. My name's Derek Van Ness, and I want to personally thank you for being a part of the small business Big Life movement. Now get out there, create more than you consume, love people more than you need to, and believe in magic because yes, it does exist.